Hello, I'm Rashmi Becker and this is Conversations with Carers, a series where we look at the stories of those that dedicate their lives to caring for others. There are almost 7 million carers in the UK. Some work on the front line of social care, others are unpaid carers for family members that need support because of health conditions, age or disability. Each day in the UK, 6,000 people take on a caring responsibility. I'll be talking to just some of them about what it really means to care. Today's guest is Georgia Bowers. Georgia has spent the height of the pandemic working in a care home for over 100 older people. From my experience, the care sector is incredibly task-focused and it becomes an environment which is dominated by the institutionalised rituals and rhythms of, of that culture. So, for example, you have to ideally have everybody up and having their breakfast by a certain time. Then ideally you want to have them dressed in a certain time period. Um, and then you're on to the morning activity, which has to last an hour. Then you're on to lunches, that lasts an hour. Then you're on to the afternoon activity, another 60 minutes. Then you will have um, a light tea break. So that's another 20 minutes. So everything is put into time boxes. And... I think across the sector, both in care homes and also individuals who are receiving care at home, you're expected to do really intimate tasks such as assisting somebody with getting washed or getting dressed quite quickly. And often the reason you have to do that quite quickly is because you're understaffed and there are so many residents that you have to assist with on that morning. And I think what happens then is that carers can't necessarily give the quality of care that they want to. So, for example, if you're assisting an individual with getting ready for the day, ideally you want to go through their wardrobe with them. You want to say, oh, you know, I'll be fancying the pink dress or it's a little bit cloudy today, so shall we go for the red one? What about this cardigan? What shoes would you like to wear? And whenever I've assisted people, I've always loved doing people's hair you know, so what clips shall we have? Um, if it's a gentleman, would you like to shave your beard? Shall we put some aftershave on? Um, and just really taking that time, like you would with yourself, to get ready. Whereas when you're down some carers, um, unfortunately, you can't do that. So I think it strips it back to doing the essentials of what that task is. So the essential is I have to get this individual uh, ready for the day, ensure that they are clothed in a suitable manner and ensure that they're up and ready to start the morning. And so things become rushed and I think it takes away the space for conversation because you become so focused on what you have to do and you're stressed, you know, because you're going to have to do that perhaps 30 times over in that morning period. But you you can't have that space, like I said, to, to chat, to converse, to laugh. And so it becomes very mechanical and it becomes very estranged from the person that you're you're caring for. Yeah, you talk about mechanical. When you were talking it it sounded very robotic. How does that make you feel? It's a good question. I think I think carers are under a lot of pressure. A, a, a huge amount of time that they're working in that space and I think if you were to ask anybody who works in the care sector I think the overwhelming emotion would be stress and I think you feel stressed and in a high state of anxiety because you want to do a good job 
you want to be able to support everybody you need to support in that morning. You want to make these residents feel comfortable and to ensure that they're feeling positive within that experience they're going to have with you. And I think if you feel that you cannot provide the high level of care that you want to provide, I think it makes you feel a huge sense of guilt. I'm not being good enough as I should be in this moment. And I think that's a constant battle that carers face of this is what I'd like to happen, but because of a lot of different issues that are out of my control, this is what I'm actually having to do. And how do you cope with that? How do you cope with, you've talked about stress, anxiety, uh, the frustration of not being able to do what you want to do and give your best. How does that impact you and how do you cope with that stress and anxiety? Mm. I think the mental health of, of everybody working in the care sector isn't something that is largely addressed. And I think it's something that everybody experiences. And from my from my perspective, there are moments when you work in that environment and you become upset. There are moments where you cry and not just because of the stress, but because this is a relational practice. So if the individual that you're caring for in that moment, if they're having a bad day, if they're unwell, if a member of staff has done something that perhaps has upset them in any way, that can really connect to you. And what was it like going into a 100 bed care home during the pandemic? There's so many things that I could share from that experience. When I entered, I I went back because I was initially furloughed because of the job that I was doing at the time. I was really fortunate I was furloughed. And in my mind, very naively, I thought, oh, you know, be a couple of months and we'll be back to work. And so during that time, I just had an instinct that this was going to affect care homes because it, it is a home to lots of very clinically vulnerable people. So I thought, I want to make the best of this furlough time. And having worked in that space before, I want to go back in and to assist, so I did. And when I first went in, none of us knew what to expect. We had no idea what was coming. And I would say within three weeks... It was, it's almost indescribable to say what it was like. It was scary. It was stressful. It was traumatising. I can remember being in the car park one day at the height of the pandemic in the, in sort of the July time and actually being, feeling fearful to go in because I didn't know what I was going to face that day. I didn't know if I was going to get coronavirus, how that would affect me, how would that affect my family if I didn't take that back into the family home. And so I think if I was to look back on the timeline of it, when things started to initially get quite bad, we didn't have any PPE. And the care provider, they were fighting to access PPE. So those masks, they do have a certain time span that you should wear them and then you should change them. And because we didn't have enough, we'd only have one for 12 hours. And at the time it had been proven that they wouldn't be as effective during that whole shift because of they needed to be changed. And I did see care staff wearing bin bags to protect, to protect themselves. 
we had physiotherapists who worked in the home and they attempted to make their own goggles and their own PPE and their own masks. Um, and it was very, very makeshift in those initial stages, which was very difficult. And I think because there was such little information about how coronavirus was manifesting and how it was transmitted, there was a lot of fear because we didn't know, is this airborne? Is this something that you can get from touch? And then we went through the stage where we had hospital admissions. And we were obviously welcoming individuals from the hospital into our home. And little did we know that they were then bringing coronavirus into the home. So then you had to deal with the, you know, the spread of that, but also the huge, the huge guilt that people felt and the responsibility that they felt that they had okayed these admissions, but they didn't know. What I think was interesting is those who were admitted from the hospitals, those were a variety of individuals. So we were a care home that predominantly worked with, like I said, over 65s and people who had quite um, a high level of medical need. But the individuals that we were admitting from the hospital had a variety of needs. So we had people there who had very high level mental health needs, for example. And we didn't have anybody in the care home who was a mental health practitioner or had experience of that. So therefore we had um, some people who we really just couldn't support in the way that they needed to be supported. So that was difficult. And then we went through the phase of when there were a high number of deaths due to the pandemic. And when you're in that moment, you just, it's, it's really interesting. I think anybody who goes through any trauma in life, you just do. And you just put one foot in front of the other and you, you carry on and you do what you need to do in that moment. And I think it's not until that, that initial trauma passes that you have a moment to reflect. And for me, I remember when we lost perhaps maybe 10 residents, just walking down the corridor one day and on this one particular unit, I noticed so many empty beds. And that's when it hit me about the gravity of what was happening and what was going through. And there was so much talk about mental health that was happening. But I think there was very little talk about the mental health of the individuals working in the care homes at that time because they were expected to carry on and to continue because they couldn't not go to work. If they didn't go to work, there was nobody to backfill their role. So you had to just carry on. Um, and I think the level of emotional labour was huge in that time. And I think you know they're still going through it, people working in care homes. And I think it will be years and years before that washes through. And then we had when we got to the summer and the government allowed visits, but the visits had to either be done outside. I think it was a three metres distance was what we adopted. And those visitors had to be monitored by staff or they had to take place in a allocated room, which had a very large glass shield going down the middle. And I personally found that very distressing. Um, and there was one man who, who was in there because he had a spinal injury and he was in the room which had the large glass and he wanted to see his children. And it was very, very distressing because they couldn't touch. And yeah, I think that was probably the saddest thing I've ever seen. What sort of support was there for you? I know you said you're expected to just carry on, but you 
almost have been seeing the impact on each other in terms of, of care staff. What sort of support was there for you and how did you keep going and get through that? There really wasn't any. Um, and I think it's because we were in such a state of emergency, there was no time to plan for any of this. And there was there was no time to create that provision. And because we were in a state of emergency, we just had to do, we just had to act. There wasn't time to sit there and talk about our feelings. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say this was about saving people's lives. And I think the only support we had was the support for one another. And care homes, were, which I think is fair to say, were very much forgotten. There was a lot of, of media attention around nurses and doctors who did a phenomenal job. That is not to take away from what they did. But I think us in the care home, we felt a little bit like the poor relation. And all we had was each other. And I can remember so many mornings where we would have like a little office that we would sit in with my team. And someone would always be crying, you know, crying because they're scared, crying because it's just a huge sense of loss and grief that you're carrying, crying because it's not fair and crying because we sort of felt like, where do we turn? Who do we complain to? Where do you go? Why do you think the care sector was forgotten and why do you think that and how does that make you feel because of the low value that we put on adult social care and i also feel that the way the care sector and elder adults in general were treated is an indication of the ageist environment that we live in and i think because we do not value life over 65 i think there was this attitude of well if we lose a particular demographic who perhaps are not contributing to the economy, who are not paying tax, is that a type of community that we want to prioritise in this? And so I think, like I said, I think it goes back to ageism and I think it goes back to who do we value in our society. And you've talked about the emotional impact on you, on other staff, and not feeling like you have any sort of control. What impact do you think that had on the residents themselves? I think it was an incredibly confusing time for them because of the lack of knowledge. And I think they looked to the staff and especially the senior management for reassurance and for confirmation of what was happening. But because you know, because this was a pandemic, we, di- we didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen. But then I also think for residents, that was incredibly unsettling for them. And I also think the fact that they were unable to leave the site and that their civil liberties were reduced to such a large extent was very dehumanising. And I think that the care home quickly became a, a prison-like state because while the rest of the population were then allowed to go out to meet a friend to go to a restaurant as long as you know you were had the protective glass between tables so on and so forth residents weren't able to do that and that is inc- that is incredibly frustrating for them and also unfair 
And I think while they could understand that this was to manage infection control and it was for the greater good of the entire care home, that doesn't make their feelings towards it any less. And I think when you're in a care home, so much of your agency is reduced because so much is done for you. And I think this experience reduced that level of agency even further. And I think, in my opinion, we had two series of deaths. We had those who died from coronavirus and then we had a second wave who died due to the effects of the pandemic and being in lockdown and in such high levels of social isolation. And I think we need to remember that during the height of the pandemic, in the care home that I worked in, people were predominantly staying in their rooms. Whereas for myself, I was going to work, I was mixing with staff, I was going home, I was mixing with my household. Whereas these individuals, it would be the carer that would come into their room for a very short period of time during that day, and then that would be it. I mean, I know that there are individuals who from them talking to me and from the antidotes that they shared, that hugely impacted their health and created a sense of what is the point. And you talked about staff carrying on. How do you digest and recover from this sort of experience as a carer? I was very angry. I was very angry at what had happened, the way the residents had been treated and their families and the way that we had all been treated. And for me, the way that I have personally recovered and not everybody's had the luxury of this is to step away from that environment and to have time actually where you're, where you're not in a care environment at all. So I've not gone back to a care home since. And that's given me the space to reflect, to process and to calm down which I think is really important and to critically take that moment to think about what was happening, why it was happening and how we can move forward. Because I think the care sector has been stripped. I think it was, it was on the fringes of collapse before the pandemic. I think right now, you know, it's probably holding on with one finger, <laughs> holding on left. And so for me, recovering from that is putting my energy into looking towards the future and putting all that anger, that grief, that frustration into how can I use this to fuel change and change that needs to happen? And how can I act as someone who's advocating for, for that industry and for the people who are in receipt of it? And I think most importantly, how can I use those stories that I observed and that I heard to hopefully change what will one day be most likely become my story. Because I think in society, we are hiding older adults. We're removing them from the mainstream. And therefore we are not acknowledging that one day that too will be us. And with people living longer, it won't be long before I very well could be living in a care home. This was Conversations with Carers with Rashmi Becker and guest Georgia Bowers. I want to thank Georgia for sharing her reflections on elderly care. Much has been reported on the handling of the pandemic in relation to care homes. Georgia's vivid accounts call into question the value placed on the lives of older people, 
and the regard for carers on the front line. She talks about having to suspend emotion and just carry on without support and feeling forgotten. But the strain and helplessness of seeing residents lose their liberties and life is something carers will carry for a long time. Carers deserve recognition for their work. Minimum wage, long hours and low regard should not be acceptable for such a critical service. Conversations with Carers is produced by Sophie King. Thank you for listening.